from AM and FM stations around the country. Welcome to the Small Business Administration award-winning School for Startups Radio, where we talk all things small business and entrepreneurship. Now, here is your host, the guy that believes anyone can be a successful entrepreneur because entrepreneurship is not about creativity, risk, or passion, Jim Beach. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting edition of School for Startups Radio. It is Monday, the 20th. Happy Thanksgiving week to you. We have three shows this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then we'll be off for Thursday, Friday, and then back, of course, next week with all great new stuff. So thank you for being with us today and for the holiday season. And try to remember, we have so much to be thankful for. If you are listening to this just think you've got a device to listen on and the list of things to be grateful for goes on from there, including a fantastic show today. We have two really amazing guests. First up, we have uh, Scott Hartvid. He was with the blue angels and is now a Hollywood stunt pilot was in that Maverick movie top gun. We will hear about all of that, including his encounters with Tom Cruise. And then after that, Catherine Roy is with us. She is simply put the coach's coach. If she, if you are a coach, you must listen to Catherine. You probably will want to hire her. She is amazing at removing limiting beliefs for people in the coaching space. So fantastic show today. And the rest of the week as well, you know, I'm always amazed at the schedule that we come up with and the incredible guest that just always seem to arrive. There's never any, uh, shortage at all. Tomorrow, we're going to meet someone who's created an urban sandbox for kids. And then on Wednesday, a venture capitalist who deals in the Midwest and why we'll find out anyway. Thanks for being with us today. We're going to get started in about 10 seconds. We are back in again. Thank you so very much for being with us today. Very excited and honored to introduce my first guest. His name is Scott Cartvet. He is formerly a Blue Angel fighter, flyer, pilot, I guess is the best word. You know, the uh, Air Force group that goes up and does the tight formations and the incredible stunts in the airplanes. He is one of those and has won every military award that you can get. I guess it looks like he's won the materia service medals and a bronze star, and it could go on and on and on. He's also been very successful post air force and has had a a civilian career. He is board of directors of organizations. We will talk about that. Most importantly though, he is author of a new book called full throttle from the blue angels to Hollywood stunt pilot. It is five-star rated on that Amazon place. Scott, welcome. How are you doing? Jim, I appreciate it. Thanks so much. I got to give you one correction, though. Okay, I'm please. a Navy pilot. You Navy, can't call me an Air I Force pilot. About I was that. I, I was wondering. I ran out ships. I was like, oh, God, is it Blue Angels. It has to be Air Force. And <laughs> no, so then, no. Okay. The Blue, Angels, the Blue Angels, the Navy's flight demonstration team is older than the United States Air Force. We're 77 years old. The Air Force is only, I think, 74 years old. Okay. Well, it's still weird to me that the Navy has airplanes. You know, I understand <laughs> that they come with the ship, you know, the aircraft carrier, you know, I understand that. It's just weird. That, anyway. Yeah, I get, I actually get that a lot when I, when I first started flying fighters, people would say, "Oh, that's great. You're in the Air Force." And I'd say, "No, I'm in the Navy." And they'd say, "They have fighters?" Yeah, you, you've seen Top Gun, right? All those airplanes on the deck. 
so no, it's a it's a common misnomer. Absolutely, I'm just giving you a hard time. You were in the recent Top Gun movie, right? You were one of the pilots for that. I was. I was a stunt pilot uh, for that final fight scene when Maverick and Rooster steal the F-14 and fight their way out of enemy territory. Uh, who were they attacking a- in that movie, Scott? Who the hell was the enemy in that movie? What country? The, the, it was the bad guys. It was a <laughs> that vague, was so classic. It, how they didn't even uh, tell us who the enemy was. Yeah, uh, the enemy was the enemy was the bad guys, and we were the good guys. Uh Wow. If James Bond had had it so easy, we don't even have to have a country, just the bad guys. And that where That's exactly right. is that perfect hole that they had to fly straight up and then straight down and then drop the bombs and then fly straight up and then straight out. Where exactly is that also? Uh, yeah, I, I, I know the F-18s did a ton of flying out in northern Nevada and they did some flying uh, out of Whidbey uh, Island up in uh, the Olympic Mountains. Uh, but that particular uh, valley bowl area, uh, I don't know that that bowl actually exists as opposed to just the side of the cliff where they got that really killer footage rolling inverted and pulling into that uh, bowl, if you will, to designate and then neutralize the target. Well, it sure was a good movie and we all enjoyed it. And uh, congratulations on being part of it. Let's talk about the yeah, book. I appreciate that. Sure. Full throttle. What do you want us to learn? What's the lesson? Well, so it's interesting. Uh, my dad always fancied himself a writer and he was in the Navy submarine forces. And I would always come home from deployment, whether it was the three tours in Iraq or the two tours in Afghanistan. And I would just tell these stories and he'd say, Scott, your stories are outrageous. You should write a book. Uh, and it wasn't until about 2020 that that idea really started to mature um i had finished maverick the movie was getting ready to come out my dad was diagnosed with dementia and i thought well now is that time and so ultimately what i did is i ended up writing the book uh over a period of about six months uh, and i do some corporate training on the side talking about the blue angel debrief and how we uh, drive excellence and execution uh, to a level of near perfection in the Blue Angels. And how any company can do that, you just have to have a, a very solid process in order to make that happen. So I talked to a lot of companies about that. I talk about it in the book um, and saying yes to opportunity. So uh, I think it's for all ages. Those uh, young people that are dreaming and those people that are looking back on their lives with gratitude and uh, recognizing the things that they did in their own lives that they're proud of. 91 combat missions, right? Yes, sir. Does that mean dropping yeah. bombs? What is a combat mission defined as? Well, we talk about it in our log book, uh, and fighter pilots will put green ink in the log book. Uh, at least the Navy anyways, when you fly during the day, you log the flights with black ink at night, red ink, and then if it's a combat mission, meaning you are over the skies of enemy territory, then you log green ink. And so uh, we didn't we didn't apply, uh, employ weapons on all of those flights. Sometimes you would fly a combat air patrol, for instance, during Operation Southern Watch in 1995, where you're patrolling the skies in the event something should happen. Uh, but during shock and awe in Iraq, subsequently in Afghanistan, uh, there was a fair amount of employment uh, against enemy forces. All right. Well, we appreciate your service and thank you for that. I also noticed on your resume that you spent a lot of time studying Taiwan. Yeah, we had. Uh, and so, uh, you know, Taiwan as a uh, Western ally uh, are a great threat uh, from the Chinese. And so, there were periods of time where uh, in the 1990s and even more so now where we will place a aircraft carrier strike group uh, on the eastern side of Taiwan, kind of like the uh, queen on a chessboard, right? Uh, we place it out there in the ocean and are highly maneuverable uh, and it just lets China and other nations know that we support our friend uh, Taiwan 
and that we have their backs literally is the simplest way to think about it. The same way that the Eisenhower and the Ford strike groups are in the Mediterranean in support of Israel and their operations over in the Middle East right now. It seems to me almost a certitude that they're going to eventually attack. They're doing practice drills all the time. And it seems like everyone is attacking us right now. Do you think that China will eventually attack Taiwan? Yeah, so uh, I certainly hope that China doesn't invade Taiwan. I mean, war is a messy, ugly thing. And uh, so I'm hoping that we can resolve it diplomatically. And I don't think China wants to invade Taiwan. I know that they would like to exert their dominance and get the semiconductors uh, in the uh, intellectual property that Taiwan has. But uh, I know that that is a primary island and ally that we want to support and defend uh in on the global stage and if they are attacked uh, we go to that's full-scale war isn't it and we've committed ourselves to defend them what happens if they do attack yeah i would imagine if there is a, a uh uh land invasion into taiwan or an amphibious assault uh then we are full scale uh going to defend taiwan uh, it's critical that we do in the same way that we are supporting the ukrainians the israelis uh western democracies need to be defended the same way that they were in the 40s 50s 60s uh and that hasn't changed all right what does a blue angel debrief look like you talked about how important that is and that's one of the things you want to teach business leaders how do i use that type of a skill to debrief my business yeah you know there are all, all organizations like to talk about debriefing or having lessons learned uh, and they want to get together after they execute some project or plan but the first meeting that is always canceled is the debrief because Companies are always so interested in planning and executing, but all of the hindsight in uh, improving operations is in the debrief in order to accelerate performance. You know, the Blue Angels have three pilots that are brand new to the team every year. And yet, when you look up into the skies and you see those pilots, flying and, and representing our armed forces, we hope that you're filled with pride because of the precision and the excellence. And that's all done through the debrief. And so that debrief after each flight starts with a handshake, individual handshake to let everybody know that it's not personal, uh, that the, the things that we're going to talk about are only professional. Uh, and then we make a positive statement about the day, about the flight uh, uh, that reinforces the goodness of what we are doing. And then we start to get into the tricky part, right, which is the personal pronouns. And it's really easy in companies to start to blame other divisions and departments and build these glass walls between units. The Blue Angel debrief is we like to use the pronouns I, me, and my. It was my responsibility. I take accountability for wherever we fell short of standard operating procedures. And then we want to look at what happened by analyzing the execution of the flight the same way that a company can regarding any project that they are involved in. And you can do those midway through a project with milestones. Uh, But then you want to get to the why and why are we coming up short? Why are we failing in our execution or not meeting our goal, our budget, our objectives? And the why generally falls down to seven critical skills communication, leadership, effectiveness, standard operating procedures, situational awareness of those involved, uh, workload management. Do we have people uh, that are task saturated? Uh, And those are the skills that are really important to overcome. And do we have the ability to monitor cross-check each other as the execution is taking place moving forward? And then we want to verify the lessons learned. What are we doing well? What are we not doing well? What errors are we repeating? And then uh, ensure that we share those lessons learned. Uh, And then the Blue Angels are famous for ending on a positive note, which is glad to be here. 
that it's all volunteer and we want to be there in that environment executing. And those steps, the improved debrief, is really what accelerates performance, not only for the Blue Angels, but any organization that is willing to put the time into debriefing and improving. Well, Scott, you started with a positive and ended with a positive, didn't you? I mean, you sandwiched. I mean, there's, I like that a lot because, you know, we're here to talk about the failures and we're not here to be personal. And even if I don't like your haircut, I still like you, you know? And so, but I like that. I mean, it's easier to leave the room that way and still go have a drink. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And we're flying in a high risk environment where our lives are at stake. And it's not just the Blue Angels, fighter uh, organizations and fighter squadrons debrief the same way because we have to get as good uh, when we are at the tip of the spear, uh, employing either employing against the enemy or preparing to and training to. You, the American public wants us to be as good as we can be. And so that debrief process is really important. And so three of the items, as you pointed out, Jim, are positive, right? A handshake, a positive statement, ending with glad to be here. Those three of the seven steps are really important. And it just sets a cultural tone throughout the organization. So I know you're supposed to be inches away from each other. Your wing tips are just inches away. How does... uh, so is the pilot in front right and then everyone else adjust to have their wingtips close to that pilot? In other words, how do you know how to ha- oh, who's in the right and who's in the wrong? Where's the line you're supposed to be drawing, you know, or maintaining your direction in the in accordance to? You understand what I'm saying? Oh yeah, no, I totally understand. And so it's an interesting question question because I get audience members that will ask a lot on whether uh, we're flying off of instruments and that, no, we are all outside. And so the lead pilot, the boss of the team, the number one jet, they're assumed to be the fixed point in that they don't move and we move around them. And then number two sets the distance from number one and three, four, five, and six all match that distance so that we are equally separated throughout the six ship Delta formation. And so, but you can only do that with trust and confidence, which you gain in that debrief, because if, if you and I are uh, at odds or, uh, but you accept responsibility for some shortcoming that you have had, I'm actually going to believe in you more and you're going to gain credibility with me. Uh, the same way that if I accept responsibility for my shortcomings and my positive attributes, we naturally build trust and confidence. And that's where you establish this culture of excellence. And the Blue Angels have been doing it for 77 years. They're the best in the world at it. And I talk about that in the book, and that's what I share with businesses. And one of the themes also in the book is the idea of yes to opportunity you always say yes i guess in your case it would be yes sir uh right talk to me about that you know my mom always used to say you never know who you're going to meet tonight if you go out you know yeah so uh, you know I've, I've had so many tremendous opportunities whether it was getting accepted to flight school uh whether it was flying for the blue angels um and performing at air shows, uh, standing up the first self-fighter squadron, the Iraq tours, the Afghanistan tours, um, at Maverick, all of the good things that have happened in my life are because I am afforded an opportunity. And rather than having self-doubt and thinking, well, I can't do this, or they'll never let me do this, or other people get to do these kind of things, I say yes. Uh, and the classic example was when I was interested in flying for the Patriot jet demonstration team. Uh, I said, yeah, sure. I'd be interested in that. And that subsequently led to Maverick and the opportunities I had with that, which led to another movie that I ended up doing with Tom Cruise that comes out next summer. And so, um, you know, that positive outlook and not in realizing that when a door opens, it's okay to step through it. 
and see what's on the other side. And I assure you and your listeners that I don't believe I have any special capabilities. I am just, I don't self limit. I say yes and push the edge of the envelope, if you will, to use an aviation term. And is there one thing other than, you know, the flight school, you mentioned that, is there something that you've gotten because of that you can directly relate or link to one time you said yes, unexpectedly or. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I say yes. And here's an example of a failure actually, but it was an opportunity and I don't view it as a failure. I applied to be an astronaut once. And all of my friends said, Scott, you'll never be an astronaut. You didn't go to test pilot school. You're not an engineer. They'll never pick you. And I said, well, guess what? NASA is never going to call and ask me to be an astronaut. So I have to try. I have to apply myself and say yes to the application because they sent out a message that said we're accepting astronaut application. So I applied and I didn't get the job, but I didn't, I didn't, I never viewed that as a failure. And that's kind of a, a mentality mindset, if you will, um, because I know that I tried, I gave it my best shot and I didn't get it, but that same mentality got me selected to the blue angels. Uh, it got me on the Patriot jet team. It got me training the actors and actresses for Maverick. It got me a stunt pilot job flying in Maverick. Uh, it allowed me to be the first F 35 commanding officer. So all of those pivotal moments in my life are because I said, yes. How do you, how do the call signs come about? I know that you are intake is your call sign and you know, Maverick yeah. was Maverick. How, how does that come about? Yeah. So the call signs are uh, either a play on a last name, uh, but mostly in the Navy, it's because you do something stupid in an airplane or you do so something stupid while you were in port and under the influence of alcohol uh, and you make a, uh, an idiot of yourself, then you can get a call sign. Intake for me is just, uh, if your listeners could imagine uh, a Scandinavian with a big nose I'm of a Nordic descent and I have a slightly large nose. So the joke is that I've taken more than my fair share of air because ah. my nose, my nose is like the intake of a jet engine. So that's <laughs> I how I got intake. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Thanksgiving later this week, it comes very early this year in the calendar. Other than family, we're taking family off the table. What are you thankful for this year, Scott? Oh, gosh, I'm thankful for the support that I get uh, from my wife, from my kids. Um, and when I say yes to all these opportunities, there is uh, a ton of effort and work that goes in behind the scenes. Um, and uh, my wife is exceptional at that. Um, and that is not a canned answer by any stretch. She is the operations officer. In fact, she's really the CEO, right? And she makes sure that uh, the home front is taken care of so that I can go do all of these wonderful things. So I am grateful for her. How many different moves in your career? Oh, gosh, we moved uh, 14 times in 22 years. In That's fact, the longest... Bad. Yeah, it's once every uh, like year and months. a half. Yeah. yeah, every eighteen months, and so uh, my kids never did two years in the same school. That's and uh, yeah, when my old our oldest son Wyatt was at the Naval Academy, he called in his first year, which is a senior year, and he said, "Hey, guess guess what?" And we said, "What?" He said, "The Naval Academy is the longest place that I have ever lived," and he was right. He lived there for four years. And the crazy thing is he's in the Navy now flying F-18s and he will move every two to three years. So the Naval Academy will be uh, the longest place he's ever lived for his first 40, 45 years of life. That's pretty crazy. That is amazing. We appreciate all of the service, Scott. And but, I know especially you. the Israelis and uh, all the things going on right now, it's a tough time. A lot of people away from home this holiday season. Yes, sir. They sure are.
Absolutely. Scott, how do we find out more? Follow you online, see the Blue Angel schedule, and get your book. So, scottcartvet.com, S C O T T K A R T V E D T dot com. Uh, you can follow my schedule there and see the things that I'm doing in the videos, uh, et cetera. And you can buy the book, you can buy it through amazon.com. Uh, 20% of the proceeds go to the Blue Angels Foundation, where we help prevent veteran suicide and help transition our veterans through their physical and mental health challenges uh, through transitional housing. So uh, it's something that I am very proud of being a part of uh, and giving back and continuing to support. I love it. Scott, thank you so much for being with us today. And uh, Godspeed to you and your family. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it. Happy holidays. And we will be right back. Well, that's a that's a that's a wonderful question, actually, Jim. Oh my gosh, I love the opportunity to do this. Thank you, Jim. Wow, that's that's a that's a great one. You know, that is a phenomenal question. That's a great question, and and I don't have a great answer. It, that's a great question. Oh, that is such a loaded question, and that's actually a really good question. School for Startups Radio. We are back in again. Thank you so very much for being with us. Very excited to introduce my next guest. Her name is Catherine Roy. She is a coach's coach. She helps coaches, consultants, business owners, entrepreneurs grow their online business. She is an official member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a member of Mensa, and officially certified by Goldman Sachs. 10,000 women program. She is the author of LHM business coaching and also a new book called live your heart and mind. It's an international bestseller. She is the founder of the LHM system, which is a holistic approach to personal and professional growth and has had some amazing clients like Microsoft Huffington post and a bunch of others. Pretty impressive. Catherine, welcome. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me. It's truly my pleasure. I'm well to well. Thank you. Excellent. So tell us about your the foundation of your work. Let's start off with LHM system and learn what it is. Tell us about that. Well, to be honest, I was programmer for 15 years. So everything in my mind was a system, you know. <laughs> But something was off. Something didn't work quite well. I didn't feel good at this job. And uh, I started to learn a lot about emotional intelligence and as a Mensa member about mind potential and all of that. So I created a system which helps us to increase the potential of emotional intelligence and thinking outside of the box so we can actually um, operate from the highest potential that we can get. And this is how all the results which you just mentioned came to my life. So the system is a holistic approach, as you mentioned. It has a specific emotional formulas and algorithms and IQ training questions, uh, which are set to help people to practically be the best version of themselves. So this is how, how the story started. And afterwards, I, I grew to build my own coaching business. All right. Fascinating. Uh, what are the, so what's the basis of it? Though you say that it's designed to help improve our EQ, how? What? What's the the inner workings? Well, uh, we all use like two percent of our own mind potential, and um, it's very like sad to realize that people are not using the potential of their mind as much as they could. There are billions and billions of possibilities to create this neuron pathways, you know, and to go into the uh, um, development practically of the central nervous system. So what I did is I've created uh, an interesting IQ questions to, like, make people think differently on a different way so they can um, remember longer and, uh, you know, get the facts faster. 
uh, there's just one side, there's just one side of the spectrum. Because my IQ is over 156. That's the level that MENSA actually can uh, measure. It can't measure above that. But that didn't help me a lot. So I realized, okay, it's not just about my brain. It's obviously something else. And that something else are actually emotions. So on the side of these IQ training questions, I've created formulas and algorithms specifically designed as a guide so everyone gets the answer from themselves and practically increase the potential from their emotional side. When we increase the potential of our emotions and our intellect, then we are on the highest level of consciousness and we can achieve better results. Okay. When you talk about EQ and emotional intelligence, uh, that's something that we can change, right? You can't change your 156, but we can change the EQ, right? Yes. Yes. We can change it. Definitely. Yes. I've been through like 18 personal growth programs and the results which you just mentioned are what my life looks like now. But I was born in former Yugoslavia, a beautiful country which doesn't exist anymore. And there was a civil war when I was a kid. So from a basement where I was hiding from bombs, I, I grew up to what you just described in the beginning of this show. So um, I am absolutely living proof that everything is possible if we understand our emotions as a processed feelings through our mind. So everything is about mindset. Everything is about our limiting beliefs. And if we discover what is actually stopping us to, best, to be the best version of ourselves and to transform that, this is how our emotional intelligence grows. And as it grows, we grow. We grow personally. And we can achieve much better results. Now I work as a business coach because I was programmer and it's very easy for me to get all of these things which are going on online on, you know, any kind of web platform. But if we don't have a specific mindset of abundance and if we do not believe that we can achieve what we desire to achieve, the results will lack. So it's kind of a puzzle system. So we need to work on the emotional intelligence. We need to play with our mind so it's like, you know, activate the other aspects of the, the central nervous system. And then we can implement that with anything we want to achieve, if it is business, if it is sports, whatever it is. It just helps us to be and to get the best results. All right. What are the limiting beliefs that people have what do people think is stopping them is it money or their own self-perception of how smart they are what's limiting us well uh i would have to say that i was always um you know not so secure in my own capabilities until i got the mensa test result so I guess in my case, I definitely didn't believe in myself. And through the last 10 years, I was researching this field very significantly. And what showed up is that the most common limiting belief is I'm not enough. So no matter if it is about money or if it is about relationships or if it is about any kind of achievement, if we have programmed ourselves to believe that we're not enough, this is how the reflection will actually become our reality. So the money mindset or the abundance mindset is crucial for us to grow into, you know, a person who is abundant in every aspect of our life. Because when people believe that life is difficult, that life is hard to live, that money doesn't grow in trees or something like that, this is going to be the reflection in their reality. As I mentioned, I went through war, I was in a basement, I experienced poverty, I didn't have what to eat, and now I'm living the life which I want, which I desire, and I'm the light for others. I couldn't achieve this with the limiting beliefs I had like 10 years ago. And for sure, one of them was that I wasn't enough. During the time, I realized that I'm more than enough, that money is a beautiful energy which flows 
because I am offering the best of myself to the world. And the gratitude from people I helped actually reflects itself in my own abundance. So it's all connected. And what I would like to say is that we need to believe that we are enough. I actually have on my mirror in the bathroom written, you know, with my lipstick, I'm enough. And I see that every single morning. Why do you need to be assured of that now? It seems like you would, you know, have come to terms with that. Does it need to be on the bathroom it's always mirror good. anymore? It's always good to remind yourself, you know, it's, it's a beautiful pink color with a heart on my mirror. <laughs> <laughs> well, as long as it's got the heart, that, that makes it yeah. okay. <laughs> All right. You know, it's hard to believe that abundance happens. You know, there's a lot about what you're referring to that a lot of people believe is hocus pocus or magic or silliness. They just don't believe it. How do you respond to those people? Well, if a girl from an underground shelter now can be a worldly recognized coach, then it takes a lot of work but it's not mumble-jumble, you know. uh, I mean, I'm working a lot as a coach, especially because I'm working with clients from 30 countries, and we're building very serious businesses. And that takes a lot of effort and a lot of work. That's for for sure. And success doesn't come overnight. But before this, I was sitting in an office, I was writing code for a huge international company, and I was a very, very unhappy person because I followed the system. I went to college, I graduated, I went to corporation, I worked nine to five, you know, and I just didn't feel like myself. I wanted to scream from inside. And I realized there has to be something else. There has to be something which I don't know. And people who don't believe in this are just people who don't know the facts. You know, uh, when we research a little bit biographies by Nikola Tesla, who is one of my idols because he was born very close to where I was, um, or Napoleon Hill, or Elon Musk, or Steve Jobs, or whoever we want to take as a model, they all say the same. The most important thing is... What is our purpose? What we wish to accomplish, uh, accomplish in this life? And how will show up during the way? So I don't believe that people who say that are people who are really fulfilled and who are living abundant life. So I would say just give it a chance. Uh, try it a little bit for yourself. Find things which work for you. It doesn't mean that what works for me will work for you. This is why my system is different because everyone has a chance to choose their path uh, and just give it a chance. And then we can talk in a few years and see if it works really. Is abundance about materialism? It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. When I speak about abundance, it's more like a fulfillment in life. So for someone, that's definitely money and material things. And for others, it might be a family, a family life or whatever it is. But what is very interesting is that it follows one another. So if we feel well and we have that frequency of you know, positivity and abundance in our life, and even Nikola Tesla wrote this in his autobiography in 1883, I believe, that was like, what, a century and a half ago, uh, then these material things will follow. This is just an energy which follows. When you do what you love, you're the best. People recognize that. They want to work with you. They trust you, and you grow. And this is the way you can build all elements of life. This is why my book and the system are actually like 10 separate segments of life. It's not only about money. It's about balance. It's about love. If, if we are rich, I don't know how much, but we, we are unhappy in our uh, love life, then that's not abundance, right? I'm talking here more about the balance in every aspect of our life. That is true. If you can't get someone to kiss you, it's not going to be a happy person. Uh, exactly, right? <laughs> I had a guest on three or four months ago, and I 
got talking to him a little bit afterwards and he is divorced lives here in atlanta the same town and so i i see him i kind of know him around and uh he is just desperate to find someone to date and can't and is miserable and his riches all get out he has a private plane and cannot find anyone he wants to date and uh he's just a miserable person and Mm -hmm. it's uh Mm -hmm. really with all that money in a private plane he he just doesn't know it works uh the other way around if we're not looking for someone but we actually are the source of that love it will come to us i am i'm with my husband 20 years uh we are married for 13 years but i was just 19 years old when i met him (laughs) and uh, we built our lives together uh, for like a quarter of century already, right? But I didn't looking for anyone. Uh, I, I'm just the reflection of the love itself as the source of, you know, the light and the positivity in life. And if you're looking for someone and you want to have a date and you are going out there with that like mission to have someone just not, will not happen. It's it's just like you're pushing and it's pushing back at you. But when you let go and you allow things to happen, it might actually happen. <laughs> what are your thoughts on neuroplasticity? You know, it's the idea that we really can make our brain smarter. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on that? I was completely out of my mind. A few weeks ago, I interviewed Dr. James Hart on my show, and uh, he runs an institute where they do the trainings with electricity to activate the central nervous system and uh, neuroplasticity. And the results they have are unbelievable. Like, they are working with the best thought leaders in the world, uh, he was working with uh, Vishen Lakhiani and Tony Robbins and Dr. Michael Beckett, Neil Donald Walsh. Um, it is possible. Even I didn't know. I knew there is a possibility to alter the states of mind, to go into the alpha, beta, theta states of mind, to, to create something from the deeper consciousness. But I was doing this from the perspective of personal growth. I had no idea that you can do that in a lab with electricity, and he actually is doing that for the last 56 years. My goodness. So, yes, it does exist. (laughs) Yes, some people know how it works. And I guess they're using it because he says that everyone has the same potential. Just during our life, we will lose the path because society, you know, affects us. So we all have different pathways in our brain. But with this, when they activate the central nervous system, it, the best version of you starts to, you know, uh, be the creator, the, the creator of your life. As I mentioned, all of these names, they are definitely on the, on the top of... Uh, he, he can't mention even, you know, the aliases from Hollywood he worked with and all of that, politicians, but uh, even the army. Um, there, is, there is definitely a way, and there are institutes which are doing that in the world. Tell us about your business. If I was a coach and wanted to hire you, what would that look like? Well, uh, I, I have two different programs. Uh, one is complete business model. So we are creating a powerful business model and uh, using the most powerful tools and technologies which are out there now, including AI also. Uh, the main channel which we use is LinkedIn. So the other program is for LinkedIn only, but the business coaching includes that too. So every aspect of the business, value proposition, customer segments, revenue streams, cost structures, all of that is perfectly clear. We uh, developed the business growth plan, you know, exact steps, what you need to do, how to do that, how to show up to build your credibility as I did mine, as you read at the beginning, and to increase revenue streams through different online channels, which can help you to, to be established as the best personal brand you can be in this world. So the result is that uh, you become the thought leader in your industry. You become the recognized expert. And I will be honest, uh, when I spoke with you about this interview, uh, Nathan recommended you and he recommended a few other 
uh, a host. I was booked uh, 22 times in three days. And this is because uh, of the online process I know how to set up. So we cover the technology, we, we cover the how, we cover the, the healthiest business model it can be, the marketing messaging, and you know exactly how to run your business online. But I specialize in online business growth because as a programmer, I understand web platforms and systems and social media much better than other marketers can ever do, I believe. And how much should a coach charge? Tell us about pricing. How do I determine what a fair price for my services is? Well, that depends on the market. And since I'm working in 30 different countries, I decided to make a different palette. So there is an option for you to learn on your own. And it starts with 1K. That's very, very like low investment for the return of investment that someone can get. Until you know the level of working with me closely one-on-one -on -one for four months and having the materials, my templates and all of that, which can like uh, skyrocket your business and it's 4K. So my prices and my, my uh, palette of value proposition is adjusted to different uh, markets because people don't have the same income brackets everywhere in the world. So it's from 1 to 4K. And everyone who starts in any aspect of or any any step of this like business palette can make the next step and then go further. Okay, I was actually asking about your clients, but I was go I was going to ask how much you charge. But if I am a coach here in the United States, how do I determine mm -hmm. what my prices are for my customers? Do the market research first. Uh, before even going on the market, we do the market research and ask our potential clients and our previous clients about their needs, about, you know, what we need to do to help them and what are the price ranges they would uh, be uh, willing to pay for that. So I collected about 200 answers. And based on that, I realized there are people who can afford premium service. There are people who can't. So I delivered and created different, different, you know, models and, and pricing points. It might happen in your case that you will get like 50 answers and everyone will say the same. But we must ask. We must ask first what they need, second, in what form they need that, and third, how much are they willing to pay. When we know that, then we do the beta testing of the market, delivering one of these things and see if it is work. If it, if it doesn't work, we don't like uh, uh, develop it further. But if it does work, and usually it does because we previously did the market research, then we deliver, uh, you know, add on higher values to that and increase our prices. So my answer shortly would be we have to ask them. All right. Give me a, a ballpark though. Uh, what do you think? What is a, a normal starting price? Well, if we speak about coaching, which is one-on-one -on -one, uh, and which has like, you know, recorded material and something that they can, can keep lifelong, I think the minimum should be 2k it must not go under that but this and is that's just 2k for what uh not a for, month for, for the for, 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 for four sessions and some kind of recorded material which will help them when we are gone uh so that's that's a minimum maximum can go however high we want i know people who are charging twenty five thousand for for six weeks of uh, six months of coaching so it depends what is our value proposition, what we deliver, and what is the, the gain or, or need. You know, I heard someone says, and I think this is a very smart thing. I never thought of it, but it said, he said, um, uh, solve rich people's problems because rich people pro have specific problems and they struggle with that. And if you work with rich people, it, they will make you rich. So again, it depends on our target market, who we are serving. But I would say if in case you have like a, a course or a program which has like five modules and you have few templates with it, 
and you add your time to that, like in the next four weeks, once a week, it shouldn't go less than 2K, definitely. All right. Later this week is Thanksgiving here in America. Catherine, what are you thankful for this year? And we're not accepting family answers. So you're not thankful <laughs> for your husband. We don't care. It has to be non-family related. Yeah, so, so you you took my answer away. Um, um, yeah, I'm thankful for this interview, actually. This is the first time I am doing an interview via phone. So I'm a visual person, and it's pretty much challenging for me to speak with someone I don't see. <laughs> so I'm very grateful for this new experience. Well, this is radio, not podcast. You know, we yeah, are a podcast. Know, we I have know. a podcast, but we're primarily a radio show. And I'll, you'll be the first person other than my wife to know, Catherine. Yesterday, we added two more stations, and so we're up to 65 stations around the country. So Amazing. Congratulations. Uh, we're excited about that. So uh, I'm sorry I don't get to look at you. Uh but I have to have a left and a right, just like in the car. So, and I just looked at your picture. You're a beautiful woman. I wish I could have looked at you, but uh, I got to do what my stations demand. Thank you, and and I'm grateful for this experience. So, yeah, it's a win-win, right? There you go. That's right. All right, fantastic stuff, Catherine. You are abundant. How do we find out more? Follow online. All of that, please. Well, my website is catchingbureau.com, but the best place to connect with me is LinkedIn. So I'm there for sure. Uh, on other social media, I'm, I'm present everywhere, but my assistants are taking care of that. On LinkedIn is really me. So yeah, feel free to connect with me over there. What's the most important thing about your LinkedIn profile? Uh, what is the mistake that people make on their LinkedIn profile the most? They don't realize it's actually one of the greatest uh, search engines in the world, in the business world. So they don't apply the SEO and the keywords specifics on their profile so they can be found. And the second thing is that uh, it's uh, not a CV anymore. It's more of a landing page. So um, daily, my my profile... Um, gets seen by tens of thousands of people. Uh, and they can see every single specific about me and my business, and people trust LinkedIn. So make sure that you set up the profile correctly because it's very important that you are found. It's much different if you're searching and doing outbound marketing or you are actually found and by other people and it's an inbound marketing. So I tripled my business twice thanks to LinkedIn uh, when the COVID was, um, when the pandemic was, and I'm I'm completely in love with LinkedIn. Like now I'm working, uh, I have a chance to learn behind the scenes from LinkedIn editorial team in UK and USA, and I have to say what they are creating is truly, truly magic because there are 80 million companies over there, and four out of five people are decision makers. There are no limits at all. I love LinkedIn too. Catherine, great stuff. Thank you so much for being with us, and I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving week. Thank you so much for having me. I truly, truly enjoyed. Thank and you. Everyone, make sure you get her URL correct. It's Catherine with a C, B, Roy. She's using her middle initial, B. So Catherine B. Roy, R O Y. Dot com. Catherine, great stuff. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye. We're out of time, but you know what? We are back tomorrow. We have one more show before Thanksgiving. Everyone be safe. Take care and have a great day. Bye now. <laughs>